Brenton Thrasher, and welcome to the Learning and Loving to Fly podcast. This is episode 10, which is detailing all of my instrument training. I decided to do a little bit differently for instrument. It's, I know for the private, I detailed almost like a week at a time. And for the instrument, I think it was it's, it's going to be a little bit better if I do it all in one podcast. Get all the information in one place. And I'll do another one that talks about my check ride, which I just took over this past weekend. So starting out, obviously, you need a written test for instrument. And I actually got that knocked out really early on while I was doing some personal cross country flying after I got my private certificate and just flying around some family members and friends. I decided to to also study for the written exam using flight ready and a ton of YouTube videos just as normal. So I got a 92 on the written. I was lucky enough to, to get a 92 there. I was very happy with that score. And I started instrument training at 75 total hours. Just for reference, I took my final check right at about 150. So that's not to say that's how long it takes to go through training, but that's how long it has taken me at this point to get through all of that. And get to the check ride. I think we know that a lot of times check rides can get pushed out, and we'll we'll talk more about how mine did a couple times. So instrument training started out with mostly constant speed climbs, descents, standard rate turns, understanding how to look at the instruments with foggles on. And by the way, there is so much foggle time with instrument training, as there should be, especially if you're not going to get into any actual instrument conditions. So Early on, I had the foggles. I was looking at the the heading indicator. I was looking at the attitude indicator, developing that good scan and learning how everything worked, understanding what a glide slope was, intercepting, tracking radials, intercepts to holds, how circling approaches work. All of that stuff was really early on. And I think the biggest thing about instrument training is learning how to deal with all of the information that you have in front of you not only that but while you're flying the plane i think it was hard enough just to get through the private pilot certificate and just flying the plane right i mean you have to do steep turns stalls you gotta understand all the airspace that all all of that is basic stuff landings the different type of landings with instrument flying you've got all that stuff going on in the background while you're trying to make sure that you are listening to atc You're talking back to ATC. You understand approach plates. You know where you are in space, I should say. You are following your VOR radials. You are tracking your GPS. All of that while maintaining your altitude, while maintaining your heading. There's just so much going on. So it's, it's a mind game for sure. I think I might have mentioned during my private pilot podcasts that I used an app called Plain English to help me because it it was difficult at first. And that is a great app for instrument flying as well. It'll get you right through what you need, help practice on your own so you don't feel embarrassed if you're in front of your instructor. There is a cost to it. I don't know. I don't remember what it is. I don't remember it being very high. I'm also not sponsored by them by any means, but it, it did help me. That, along with a ton of YouTube videos, I think I've mentioned YouTube a trillion times because I don't think I'd be where I am with flying if I didn't have YouTube videos. So getting through the cross countries, 
um, I learned you know, how to talk to ATC, how to track where they were telling me to go, how to do an approach and then get off of approach and talk to tower and all of that stuff. It was such a good learning experience and flying instruments is a lot of fun. If you like having to multitask and think through a lot of things, thinking ahead of the airplane is what you hear on every single podcast or video that you might watch. And it is so important. Luckily with a Cessna or a Piper, they're slow enough that you know, learning on them, it's, it's a great, it's a great tool. So where I struggled a little bit with some of this stuff, though, really came into play when we started the cross countries. And I will tell you my experience, I got very, very frustrated with my instructor for about a week and a half, because I think he has an expectation of me, you know, I have high expectations of myself. But he has a high expectations of me as well. And I was starting to get my approaches down pretty well. My RNAVs were really good. My ILSs were really good, probably after about oh, 30 to 40 of those. And I know that sounds like a lot, but when you knock out four to five approaches in one flight, it, it goes by really quickly. So through having those high expectations of me, there were times that we were trying to get clearances and he was talking to ATC when I wanted to be talking to ATC and getting all of that learning in for myself, that experience of actually doing it. So there were a few times where we had miscommunicated amongst each other about who was going to talk, who was going to gather information and who was going to do what. So that that was a struggle here here are a couple examples of some things that happened one day we had filed for an instrument flight that wasn't actually too far and when we were getting our clearance i was trying to copy all the information and i was going to talk back but i still needed help making sure that i knew i was saying everything to atc so he was talking and he was telling me verbatim what to say. I actually thought he was telling me verbatim what to say. And what ended up happening was he was talking to ATC. I didn't know that. He didn't tell me he was going to talk to ATC. So after he had already requested the clearance and, and gone through all that, I started to talk to ATC and I was saying the exact same thing. And then he yelled at me and said to stop because he had already done it. So there was some confusion there. There was also some confusion during one of my approaches where we were at a leg where we had a step down. It was a VOR approach. We had this step down down to 1,300 feet, and he was asking me why I wasn't descending down to 800 for the next one. And I explained that, you know, we hadn't reached that next waypoint yet. So there were there were some definite miscommunication issues on that particular flight. There was another one on our long cross-country flight. Where when I was getting my clearance, I was talking a little bit too much, saying a little too much, as students often do. And my instructor actually slapped my hand off of the radio, which I'm 35 years old. I was very frustrated with that. And that angered me to no end because I feel like I'm an adult. Don't slap my hand like I'm a child. <laughs> so it was incredibly frustrating to start the long cross country flight, which ended up being almost three and a half hours with that in mind. But I'm also a very calm natured person. I held it all in, relaxed, took a deep breath, 
And we ended up having a nice rest of the flight outside of that, you know, little frustration. So there there were a few frustrating parts that had to deal with uh, my instructor. Now, the, another frustrating part of instrument training for me was about halfway through, I started getting really bad at landings again. And I know I dedicated an entire podcast just to landings because they were a frustrating part for my private as well. But what ended up happening was after I had all this foggle time, 20, 25 hours or so, I went back to having really bad landings. And I attribute that a lot to not having that same perspective of, you know, a good 1000 foot pattern above the airport, knowing exactly when to pull car repeat and power and what to put power to and when to put in flaps to. Now you're on an approach, you've come out of your minimum. And you see the airport and now you've got to land. It doesn't look at all the same as it did when you had that perfect pattern. Not only that, but when you're circling, now you're at an MDA circling at, you know, whatever, 500, 600 feet. That's not a thousand foot pattern. Now you're you're flying half that altitude. So things just look a little bit different and you got to get used to it. And I think that that perspective just on top of um, not sticking with the basics of landing the plane got me into some trouble where I was rounding out high and flaring early, just like a lot of private students do. And I was slamming planes down into the ground, just like a lot of private students do. It's very interesting how that happened. So there were probably four or five flights over the span of two weeks where I was struggling yet again with landing and I had to go right back to the basics. I stopped flying IFR for about a week and flew by myself, got some landings in by myself. We did a night where my instructor came and all we did was land at an airport about six or seven times and did no approaches, stopped instrument training altogether just to get back at it because I needed that confidence back. So I didn't have to worry about that while at the same time having everything else to worry about with instrument training. Going back to the basics was extremely important. After that, I got really good at RNAV, ILS approaches. I was struggling with everything to do with VORs. I think that's a common concern for a lot of people. But VORs, DME arcs, all of that stuff, it's just practice. That's really what it boils down to. I knew that that's what it was going to be with instrument training. All of this is just practice and getting used to it, getting that muscle memory of knowing what to do. But it is kind of frustrating at the beginning. Practice makes perfect with all of this stuff. The more you do it, the better. And it's also one of those things, too, that I I did notice through my bumps and checkride dates that if you don't practice them and if you don't stay proficient with them, you can lose the ability. It's not like riding a bike where you get back in it and you're like, oh, yep, good to go. You actually have to keep up with it. And so it's good that we have the six approaches within six months rule for currency. but. I think I would definitely stand with a lot of the other CFIs and YouTube instructors out there when they say that is the bare minimum. You should definitely be doing more than that if you want to stay proficient. So what what ended up happening was toward the end of January, beginning of, uh, let's see, is actually toward the end of February. So about two months in, I was flying three to four times a week. I started to get really comfortable 
really good with VORs, really good with ILSs, really good with RNAVs, good at holds. We practiced some, some stalls and steep turn maneuvers with the foggles on. I was about ready to go. And mid-March, I had my check ride ready. The check ride was scheduled for March 19th, I want to say. And I had some check ride prep, mock check rides, I should say, with my, my CFI. Not long before that. And then my check ride on the 19th got postponed due to weather. And it got postponed a month. Then on, I think it was April 19th, was my next check ride date. And it got postponed again due to weather. So you could tell there was about a month and a half there where I was just about ready to go. And it just kept getting pushed. So I thought it was very important to keep up with uh, staying proficient on, especially with the VORs. I think that as, as far as the key things to note for your IFR training is communicate with your instructor. I think that's just one because I was so frustrated that I think is important. But communicate with your instructor about how how things are going to happen within the cockpit ahead of time. If they don't do a pre-flight briefing with you, make sure you do one with them. That way it eliminates all miscommunication within the cockpit. You don't want to have that while you're up in the air. You want to understand what's going to happen beforehand. If you're having issues with something like I did with landings, go back to the basics. Also, fly in between on your own and get that time away from the foggles for a little bit. The last thing that I'll say is, again, if you're struggling with ATC communications, use that app, Plain English, but watch a ton of YouTube videos. I watched a lot of YouTube videos and they were all before my flight. So if I knew we were going to be doing a DME arc, I'd watch two to three hours of DME arc YouTube videos before that flight. My go to for YouTube videos for a lot of instrument stuff was the bold method. I obviously used some of the other heavy hitters like Jason Shepard, Jason Miller, learn the finer points, flight, Mike Alpha. All of those guys are so helpful. And when you compare a lot of what they're saying to your experience, it's just good to get all those different perspectives out of 40 hours of simulated instrument time that I had to obviously prepare for the check ride. I probably watched three times that more YouTube videos. I probably watched 120 hours of YouTube to make sure that I I fully understood what was going on. So if you're not feeling comfortable with the ground that you're getting, or if you learn better that way, which is that's why I don't do as much ground. I learn better by watching these videos that I strongly recommend doing that. The next episode, I'm going to talk about the instrument check ride and uh, you stay tuned for that one. I think you'll be interested to learn how that went. As for now, I appreciate you and I hope you all are still learning and loving to fly. Take care.